This is a Media Lab podcast. So I was going to ask you, Kyle, what is all this shit on the floor and where did it come from? Looks like old books and yeah. is that a body of armor? What is, what is all this crap? Tomes. These are all tomes, David. You know, the, the last uh, place that we stopped at, the last gas station that we stopped at, I just noticed that there was all these like old used books that were going to waste. So I brought them back here onto the ship. I think they're spell books. I think, I think they're like witchcraft, wizardry, some form of, you know, wow. occult satanic rituals that I am all about, as you know. I was going to quip that you probably do need some help with your spelling, but you meant witchcraft. Right. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm just going to read out this basically nonsense words here for you. A deep and rich fiction. Nothing no, happened. No, no, nothing happened. <laughs> Although I think, I think your teeth actually might be getting bigger. You did have teeth before, right? I, I haven't looked in a mirror since 1999. We should check that out. You have floppy ears too, but maybe that's just your thing. <laughs> You're an asshole. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone. Especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm apparently a rabbit. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. I guess I should call you Harvey. Anyways, and then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks. What is going on here? Soon, you'll see a world of magic beyond anything you've ever seen before. It's Bedknobs and Broomsticks from Walt Disney Productions. Who's digging in here? Who will defend every inch of England? To help England fight off an impending invasion, an apprentice witch goes to war with centuries-old empty armor. Getting on the left. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, starring the incomparable Angela Lansbury. My First broom. So, big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl YYC, and It's a Conspiracy. Uh, and Dave, this is one of those situations where I have seen this movie before. You have not seen this movie before. Oh, I've seen it. I've watched it before. Oh, you did? Oh, I thought for some reason you've never seen this movie oh. ever. No, no, no. I, it, this used to be a mainstay on Disney, like yeah. Sunday nights. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. That's what, no, I've okay. watched it before. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, well, that, that's what I wanted to start off with was... Okay. Just history of Disney live action films. Like, what is your history with Disney live action films? Right. So, in Toronto on CBC, I'm pretty sure every yep. Sunday night, Sunday was nights, the Disney Magical World Hour. of Disney, Wonderful right. World Hour of Disney, Hour whatever Hours. it was called. Yeah. 
Um, and that was one of the days we were allowed to watch television. So I've watched uh, in passing probably anything that they've put on from mid 80s through the er the early not. No, that's not how you use 90s. And um, I, but I couldn't name specific, so, you know, all the cartoons are like Jungle Book, yeah. uh, Robin Hood, you know, all those like 60s, 70s animated films. I feel like, yeah, they, they never really put on like their like big, big hits. I didn't no. feel on those. But yeah, you're right. It's like Jungle Book, uh, Alice in Wonderland, P uh, Peter Pan sometimes, but it was Sword in the Stone, I remember being put on there. It was like all That's their right. B level stuff that they would throw on there on Sunday night. Bed, speaking of B level, yes. Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Correct. But, you know, you would never get. Uh, Mary Poppins no. or, um, you know, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, no. maybe once a year. Who knows? I don't remember. Herbie, you know, like stuff like that. Well, I that's think. what I was going to say. Like, this is really how I got into seeing all of those older Disney live action films. So before they got all remade in the late 90s, early aughts, like I saw original Love Bug, the original Shaggy Dog, the Swiss Family Robinson, like all that stuff played on Sunday nights. So I I just have that in the back of my mind. You've lived a very sad life. When, when people talk about, you know, those films, if they mention the Love Bug, I don't initially go to Lindsay Lohan. Oh, right. Right. That Lindsay remake. Lohan. Or if you say Shaggy Dog, I don't think Tim Allen. Like I think Fred McMurray and I think they all those old. They remade that movie with Tim Allen? They sure did. They Was sure he did. the dog? And uh, he was. <laughs> and it has Robert Downey Jr. in it. Oh, uh, I have to watch that now. Because he was trying to get back into Hollywood at that time after like taking a bunch of time off. Post cocaine or like post cocaine, but he was like okay. not getting any roles. So like he's in like a very Man. bit pole. Yeah. Just before yeah. Iron Man. He Regardless. Smelted yet. Okay. Yeah. That, so that's what it is. Now, but uh, there's a question that we keep coming back to. Which is, well, it's, I mean, it's the question we ask every week, which is, does this hold up? Is it culturally relevant? I'm starting to feel, outside of like very few exceptions, do you think any, any live action movie made for kids actually holds up past like oh, a 10, 15 year period? For kids like if you take a look at those like 50s, 60s, 70s films made for kids, like do kids. any of them, would any kid want to watch the original Shaggy Dog now? No, no. I'm just trying to think of a, like, what's a major kids, like the re-release uh, of all the animated films mm -hmm. have been doing okay. I actually don't really, like, we tried to watch Alice in Wonderland and I, yeah. I actually didn't enjoy it. The animated one, you mean? Yeah, like the yeah. original animated one. I agree. One. I don't think that is very good, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, what's, what's a big kids movie from the, uh, like, 30s through 70s? Uh, what, like, what would be the biggest one? Like Mary um, Poppins still holds up. Well, that's what Sound I was going to say. Like, still holds, holds up. Mary Poppins for me still holds up. Super, like I only I watched it again. Like when that sequel came out here a few years ago. That's right. And yeah. it was like, yep, still great. I still love it. And then the sequel was like, not as good. No, <laughs> not very good at all. But still, that original is like, yeah, still holds up. Every every single song from Mary Poppins is such a banger. Like it is so good. <laughs> every single song works. <laughs> is that like hot dogs? Or yeah, I mean, you won't be able to say that about. Uh, a certain film we're going to be talking today about. Yeah, I, I, that's a good question, though. I don't think I can. I don't think I have a very good answer because again, I talked about those Disney examples. You know, Swiss Family Robinson, Shaggy Dog, Love Bug. I really do not think kids would really enjoy watching those here today. I, like, what kids' films from the '90s are going to hold up for for kids nowadays? And that's what I kept coming back to. Again, I'm sure there's examples and like exceptions to this rule, but by and large, I think live action has a harder time sustaining itself over time. And so these films that were made for kids become movies that are made for adults. Cause that's the only 
people that are watching them because they have some form of nostalgia around them. Unless you have think, a different opinion. No, I, I agree with you. I think the two factors are probably it has to be a musical because songs have a more can have a more timeless quality. And it has to be set very intentionally as we've used this term like a period piece. So for example, yeah. Sound of Music works still well because it's about Nazis. So you can still transport to an era where nobody's got a cell phone, everybody drives funny looking cars. They wear, you know, Swiss clothes. And, you know, kids are gonna be able to still buy into that with a little contextualization. It's weird that you had to bring up Nazis in this discussion, Dave. <laughs> uh but you know, like if you're like we watch Shaft or yeah. uh, French Connection, and people are going to dirty dive bars wearing bell bottoms and stuff. Like kids <laughs> right. are not. Well, that's not really for kids, but not even a kids movie, but adults are going to have a hard time kind of transporting back to that and accepting that they're supposed to understand how seventies people adults uh, interact with each other. I'd show Shaft to my kids. I'm just trying to think of other like kids movies, like we, you know, Wonka. Yeah, we want that's Wonka. A hard, Original Parent Trap from like the yeah. late 60s. We tried to watch, I was going to bring up Parent Trap. We tried to watch that. I think we got through it. It wasn't very good. Did your son like Back to the Future? Yes. Or have you shown him Back to the Future? Yeah. Like, I think that's one of the few one. that still holds yeah. up that yeah. I don't think that was also either made, that also wasn't really made for kids. It was kind of made for teenagers, but like. The first one is, still holds up. Yeah. The rest of them don't. I, I thought the hoverboard one would be mm -hmm. better, but I had to turn it off. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess that's sacrilege. Just, yeah. I just think it's a fascinating dive into this, where mm. so few films made for kids actually so need retain relevance over the decades. Because I, I look at nowadays, like for instance, I'm a huge fan of the Paddington movies. I love the Paddington movies. I think they're really good, really made, made well for kids. I, I, like the whole family can enjoy them. I don't know. In 15 years, they probably won't hold up. In 15 years, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but the people CGI who grew up with them well yeah but the people who grew up with them will probably still have that nostalgia they go back to them you mentioned jumanji i mean i don't think those special effects held up back then either but we can still accept it for, for yeah nowadays. the first one is still pretty good uh you can tell when the computers and overlays come on and it's terrible but there is something magical about the first movie it's probably robin williams honestly yeah. there's just and what was uh what was the nice lady's name she always plays the nice Bonnie lady Hunt. Bonnie it? Hunt. Yeah. And they just have great charisma as actors. So, you know, like Emerson liked watching the original Jumanji. He likes the new ones better because they're cleaner, you know, like the digital aesthetic. Right. But uh, yeah, it's a good point. We, so basically what you're suggesting is we need to start another podcast about <laughs> kids' movies. Well, maybe. I just think that it's easier for animation to attain its pull yeah. over the years. And then well, Disney but, like, doesn't believe that they keep remaking these I fucking know, things. But yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying that people will still go back and be like, I'm watching the original Lion King and Aladdin and yes. Sleeping Beauty uh, and even going back to like uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and stuff like that. People have an affection for. But like you're not going back and being like, you know what I love? I love like I'm trying to do a deep pull here and I'm failing. <laughs> I'm watching the page master. Like, Th this like, it's is definitely not... the point. Yeah? yeah. We can't even think of one. <laughs> like those just don't seem to retain their cultural significance outside of like those handful that we've already named here already. So just to put a fine point on, we already made the mention of this movie and it's going to be very obvious why we're bringing this movie up here in a moment. But uh, Mary Poppins, what is your history with Mary Poppins specifically? Oh, it's a classic. A classic in the sense that I've watched it 
so many times we all, I think, like Sound of Music, I think we all used to know all the words by heart. I couldn't sing half the songs probably right now, but... Uh, They're all bangers, Dave. Yeah, They're I all think, bangers. Uh, I could probably bang them out, you know, <laughs> since we're talking about banging. You know, and I think too, I mean, talking about performances, I mean, there's something mercurial about good Disney, about Julie Andrews, yeah. about... There's just people that transcend transcend the story and the placement in general Di so yeah and dick van dyke is basically a walking cartoon character anyways so i just feel like he just is able to exude that this is like he's just so watchable i find in that movie yeah we even just with watched, the bad cockney accent that's the thing we just watched night at the museum and mm -hmm. he's probably the best part of the first one there's just something eminent he, he just radiates awesomeness yeah. And silliness. Same with Julie Andrews. I mean, anything she's in, even now, as soon as she shows up, you're like, you know what? I'm going to mm -hmm. give this a chance because- I uh, am going to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> um, is she in Bridgerton? She's the narrator, isn't she? I don't know. I can't watch that soft corporate. Well, you have a blood feud against her. I, I think I brought that up in a previous episode. This movie, Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Mary Poppins, both hold a very special place in my heart because I have probably watched them, I'm not even joking, before the age of 10 a hundred times each like each. i watch them all the time remember this is back in the time where it wasn't just like i'm gonna watch a movie and you just push play in two seconds and it's popping up there my parents had a few select movies they had recorded off of television so like the tv edits uh onto betamax tapes that i watched like i mean over and over and over again i definitely preferred mary poppins it was like my go-to but this one also had this weird special place in my heart and why I still have this weird nostalgic um, reverence for it. Whether it needs to be or not is going to be a discussion I think we're going to have this episode. It is where my love affair with Angela Lansbury started. I think that she's still a great actress. I think she's a, a great singer. She just brings this emotion to and believability to the way that she interprets song lyrics. I like the magic in this. I thought there was this inventiveness with like the art direction, that sort of thing. But from what I recall, is I always felt that the, the second half dragged, where it's like, well, I can fast forward through these parts and just get to like the very last battle piece. And I don't really think I understood that they were Nazis until I was much older. I just didn't think I had that frame of reference as a little kid until you kind of start to learn about World War II and school. And it's like, hmm, it's a little bit weird that they have Nazis and bedknobs and broomsticks, isn't it? But what's your history with this movie, Dave? I definitely didn't watch it as much as you did. And I don't mm. think that this has held up. I mean, there are, I, I was going to quip earlier that this idea of the transcendent Disney film. So for example, Lion King, uh, the Lion King, nobody remembers Lion King to Simba's great adventure or whatever. You know, Disney has right, pumped right, right. out, they generally pump out three or four iterations of garbage after, after a banger. So for me, Bedknobs, yeah. I mean, I never associated directly with Mary Poppins, but it always felt uh, like a second tier Disney movie. I remember watching this when I was a kid, but I certainly have not watched this even as a teen, young adult. I, I can't remember the last time I've actually sat down and viewed this. I do know that uh, there's a bed that they ride. <laughs> and there's a knob. There yeah. are some knobs. And only one broomstick. I think, I think the I fact that say, they pluralize the broomstick <laughs> is a little bit misleading because there's only ever one broomstick. And, uh, and the final note, and this, this will hurt you to your core, is um, I 
don't have a strong feeling for Angela Lansbury, and I totally forgot that she starred in this film. So, all right, well, that's uh, where our biggest that. fight is going to be. Hate yeah. the movie all you want, but hate Angela Lansbury, <laughs> and that's like <laughs> lying in the sand that I will not let people cross. How's your gut after I just punched it? Yeah, really. I should point out, I also have not watched this movie in probably over 20 years. So, this is going to be the first time I'm jumping in. I am basing all of this on memory of like, maybe a 10 or 11 year old kid the last time i actually viewed this movie start to finish i like that you were 10 and you have a thought on art direction of this film (laughs) well again that's just me (laughs) verbalizing something as an adult that i was probably picking up on uh, back then well let's do it dave we've stalled long enough we should probably do the dang thing and watch this two hour long movie it's two hours. Uh, it is two hours. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a little bit about how it was almost longer. Yeah. Let's go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, we'll be talking about bed knobs and broomsticks. Should I sing this? Should I sing please, my... Please sing it. Oh, I'm not as good as Miss Lansbury is, so I'll, I will refrain this time, Dave. But maybe I'll sing later on in the episode. Who knows? Not, it's not like we've recorded it already. Have we watched this movie yet? Because... Uh... We have. Do they sing sort in it? Of. No. Oh, come on. <laughs> you and you're like, are there songs in Willy Wonka? Is there songs in Bedknobs and Broomsticks? It's like the two biggest things from both of those films that, that they lead with. I don't remember any of the songs. You have no ear, Dave. <laughs> it explains why I'm on this podcast. Well, I guess we're on the bed together here, Dave. So we are also, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine, that is, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, Community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. Uh, this week, we're brought to you by ATB, specifically the Future of Podcasts. So, another podcast you can go and listen to. It's hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist. The Future of Podcasts has launched its second season by connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you. For me, that is Angela Lansbury. Wow. So the future of podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect with us at atv.com slash the future of. Just to be clear, I have nothing against Angela Lansbury, but you have just offended all of your Stephen Sondheim fans. Well, well, she's part of a few Sondheim shows, so it, it kind of works. It right. works. Let me let me talk about my. We haven't recorded it yet, Kyle. In this deep uh, and sure? rich fiction, you created it. I don't know what you're talking about. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival, running online from May 6th to 16th. How much time do they have left? I'm trying to do that math. Three, four, five, six, seven. Two days. Yeah. You got two days. So get online and watch this good stuff. Even though- I mean, we're recording that this today, of course, is. You know, May- (laughs) May something. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's 14th. Even though Northwest Fest can't happen in a movie theater this year, they've still put together an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs. In fact, this year there are a whopping 40 feature films plus 40 short films available for viewing to anyone in Alberta. This is your chance to stream some of the hottest new docs from Canada and abroad, many of which are Canadian, international, and even world premieres. 
All-access streaming passes, ticket packs, and single tickets are available now at northwestfest.ca. I'll say this. The one that I'm, I'm seeing here that might have the most like crossover appeal is the one called The Paper Man. Hmm. It's, uh, is it about origami? I'm just going to read the description here. It's, it captures the last two years of French-Canadian children's entertainer Claude uh, La Fortune's life before he passed away from COVID in April of 2020. So this documentary examines his body of work, revealing the depths of his art and continuing legacy. So not as, an, not as much of an upper um, as like Nazis. But uh, I think I think as far as like children's entertainment goes, I think this would be a great talk to go and, and check out. Yeah, you just pitched a documentary about a children's actor who dies of COVID as a children's movie. But it is better this movie, than it's better than Nazis. Are you gonna, at a, yeah, at an yeah, English. Are you, you going to start to argue with me that this movie that we're going to be watching today doesn't end with Nazis attacking England? Protected a children's by movie? ghost armor. Yeah, I know. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Let's get, let's get to it. I can't wait yeah. to expound on my opinion. All right, Dave, we jumped on that bed together. We rode the knob. We broke some broomsticks. Uh, what are your thoughts now uh, after many, many years of having not seen this movie? I, I think the best part of watching this was making puns about bed knobs and broomsticks <laughs> i mean at a certain point they had to know right like of they course. had to know there it's is no way you get a character to be like i always have me knob and like it's like, <laughs> so it's like i like twisting my knob like they, they they make it go out of their way to make that little kid say things that are dirty in my just, opinion just tap it three times and twist it to the left and then off you go mm-hmm. uh i thought it was awful uh i was bored and rolling the whole time I think it's poorly constructed. I don't even like the performances in it. Uh, the kids right. are obnoxious. Yeah. Kids are, yeah. We're, we're going to fight. Um, premise doesn't make a lot of sense. And I hate that there are Nazis in it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's such a weird, it's such a weird film. Yes. Uh, we do, we have already done a little bit of the background. So, it looks like it's been uh, put in a blender from a series of books that I never want to read. So, it's mm. possible that you know, they just tried to weave. From what I understand, yes, together. Nazis are not in the original books, like at all. Full stop, are not in there. From what I've read, at least on the Goodreads synopsis of the two books <laughs> that these are based on, they do not show up. No, no, Hitler. Hitler doesn't show up in a small, uh, small shore town in England to uh, capture a witch. <laughs> right, right. To prove <laughs> a point off a U-boat. We're gonna send like five of our guys across the channel. It's fine. They'll still be, be like, able to do something. Showed you. I mean, I'd send five Nazis to shut up those kids. Uh, just FaceTiming with Hitler and being <laughs> like, <laughs> "Mein Führer, Luca." Yeah, I know all that. Kind we of did stuff. it. We did it. So here's the thing. This is not going to be a Willy Wonka situation where I'm like, this is amazing. And I think this movie still holds up. I don't I actually not. believe that. I agree with half of what you're saying. Only which half. Is, which is, yes, the kids, obnoxious. Yes. I agree. This is a very poorly constructed film, which is hilarious to think that this movie was like 10 years in production because of like, I don't understand how. When you have a character come back from this like amazing animated underwater animal adventure and they're like oh this thing that we need actually was just in my book the entire time and it's like well why did you do this whole thing it makes that really bugged me i'm like no 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 you don't get to do this thing we go on this thing and this is like well i guess we couldn't transport it back from this like imaginary place the nazis makes no sense i agree they should not be in this movie 
like should not be in this movie, especially because, and I know this is kind of like criticizing the movie that isn't instead of the movie that is, but they have a villain that they already have introduced in the first act, which is the bookkeeper. So just have the bookkeeper be there, steal the medal on their return and then have to get it back. It seems like it's so obvious that that would be what you would do. And they just completely forget about it. There are two other outs. You could have you could have the Lion King, right? <laughs> follow them into this dimension, and do one more yellow screen. Or you could even have her spell backfire like they all do, and have two suits of armors fighting each other as two armies. But sure, we have to throw in uh, Nazis yeah. uh, with machine guns, probably just for the special effects to put holes in the armor. But it's uh, it's dumb. Just a quick note. Yeah. Uh, as we go in the back, I just have to throw this out here. Apparently, when the writers pitched this to Walt Disney and sang one yeah. of the songs, he fell asleep. Well, he sang. <laughs> they sang the song that I also think is actually bad, like straight up a bad song, which is the Eglantine song, which I, I will. I like to point out uh, was not in the TV edit that I watched hundreds of times as a kid. That was like completely new information. Like, what is this song? I, I can see why they cut it out because it has nothing to do with anything. How did they green light this? If the owner of the company falls asleep during your pitch, yeah. you think you yeah. just can it. <laughs> you just can right? it. Yeah. Basically, they wanted to make Mary Poppins too. That is yeah. really basically what they were trying to do. So here's the part I do disagree with. I am still firmly in belief. And yes, a large part of this is nostalgia. And I get that. You're going to roll your eyes at the rating. I'm going to give this at the end of this episode. Oh my and I God. fully and I fully agree that it is through rose colored glasses. If but one it's thing higher that even two. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I will push back that even as an adult that I enjoy is the first 40 minutes of this movie. I think it's great. I, I really do. I like the introduction. I like the initial like figuring out her magic spells, getting on the bed, going to London meeting uh, uh Emilius Brown and then it hits a fucking wall and it's just like <laughs> oh my god and I agree it becomes like almost unwatchable after that point but that first bit to me still works it's funny David Tomlinson I've always enjoyed as Mr. Banks and Mary Poppins but here he has this little twinkle in his eye that I always find fun and alluring that's a weird word to use but <laughs> well uh, it is in particular because it is such <laughs> It is such a male chauvinistic writer. Oh, sure. It's oh, awful. It, uh, yeah. But it's just oh. like, I don't know. He gets out like, of control by the end. By, just... by the end it is. I get. I agree. But when you first meet him, he's like trying to be charming. A charlatan. Charming. He's like yeah. this charlatan. I love that whole scene of him. Like, Fine. I, I swear to God, him breaking that glass and his face that he makes is like high comedy for me. I think it's so great. <laughs> so high, funny to me. You heard, you heard it here, folks. That yeah. is high comedy for I Kyle Marshall. I texted you while we were, <laughs> while we were watching this. Which is weird because we were sitting right next to each other. But I texted you while we were watching this and being like, I think this is where my sense of humor kind of started. Because there's certain things in here. It's like, oh, that's still what I would do. That's like the go-to joke that I would do or what I think is funny nowadays. Uh, Angela Lansbury is an actual treasure. I think her singing voice is beautiful. Um, the Age of Not Believing still makes me tear up every so often. The, some of the songs in here are great. They are great, great, great. And then, unfortunately, like well, four, sing one. some of them sing are not right good. now. I, I can't even remember what the song is. Oh, come were. on. Yeah. The bed uh, knobs I will sing and broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you like the bed knobs and broomsticks? No, Cap it no, no. Three no. times and turn it to the left. I mean, I, 
Honestly, I mean, it's their their attempt at making supercalifragilisticexpialidocious again, which is substitutionary locomotion. Because I like when they start oh, twisting those words again. It's like, um, I don't want locomotionary substitution or remote intransitory pausolution. How the like, fuck it's, do you it's, remember that? It's like, okay. I watched those a hundred times as a kid. Like, this is like ingrained in my brain. I love like the the beautiful briny sea. I just love that alliteration that they get into. It's the one that they actually cut from Mary Poppins that shows up in this movie. Bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What a chance to get a better peep at the plants and creatures of the deep. It's just great little rhyming. The Sherman brothers are great at this of like just making these like really nice concise uh, rhyme schemes. Um, and then the age of not believing is the other big one. Uh, that I really, really like. I will say, too, that a lot of this comes from these Disney compilation CDs that I got as a kid that had a bunch of these songs included within, like, the, like, the big ones. So I've heard these songs more times even than I've watched the oh movie. So, like, God. they're literally ingrained in my head. You, you know what you should do? You should start a podcast about musicals. That's yeah, what should. you should do. I'm just saying that I, in my opinion, there's three standout songs. And I agree, the rest are not good. But those three are standout. And the first bit of this movie is really good. And then it falls off a cliff. I am not trying to say that this is a great movie. I'm not trying to defend it as being a great movie. I'm just saying that there are elements that work for me. And Angela Lansbury deserved better in the last part of this movie. We will revisit that comment at the end of this episode when you give this a 4.5. You fool. (laughs) No, no. Okay, so let's do some backstory here then. Uh, before we get really into fighting mode here. I hope we see blood. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, initially released on October 7th, 1971 in the UK. It is rated 7.1 on IMDb, 59 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes from 35 critics, it's at 66%, and from 100,000 plus users, it's at 74%. Wow. Um, I think, um, editorializing Kyle once again, this is probably people remembering the movie rather than having just watched the movie. But that's my yes. opinion. It is available on DVD and Blu-ray. You can buy or rent this on iTunes. You can also rent it via YouTube. And you can stream it on Disney+. Plus. Who would buy this on Blu-ray? It would just make it worse. Maybe there was a point <laughs> a couple of years ago when someone was a little bit drunk off of wine and decided oh, to buy no. some stuff off of Amazon. And it still sits in his like DVD case. I'm not oh. saying that that's me, Dave. I'm oh, not saying that God. that's me. It's going to be 4.5. It's awful. <laughs> its budget was $6.3 million. You can it tell. would go on to make $17.9 million or $117 million with inflation. Its plot description is an apprentice witch, three kids, and a cynical magician con man search for the missing component to a magical spell to be used in the defense of Britain in World War II. Wow. It stars Angela Lansbury as Miss Price, David Tomlinson as Emilius, Cindy O'Callaghan as Carrie, Ian Wayhill as Charlie, and Roy Snart as Paul. Anything you want to say about those actors? You're obviously a fanboy of Angela's, and Mm -hmm. she's got such a storied career, so I don't know if there's anything... Not that nothing stands out. I mean, her whole career is a standout. I thought it was fascinating that she's... Her first film... Like that, she gets a nomination for is called Gaslight. Yes, and that's and where that's the term gaslighting where comes the from. Term gaslight comes from, and I think we should watch this creepy movie because even though it's splits, you know, the critical divide, that looks creepy as fuck. <laughs> her first two film roles, basically, interestingly enough, because I just know a lot about her. Her mother wanted to be an actress, and she sure. kind of just tagged along to an audition, and she was the one who became an actress and not her mom. So there was kind of 
some divisiveness there. Her first two roles, Gaslight and um, Picture of Dorian Gray, she's nominated for an Academy Award for. Famously, she has not won one. She was also nominated for 11 Emmys and never won one. So she's kind of always been the bridesmaid, not the bride when it comes to awards, except for the Tonys where she's racked them up. For a while, she was like the most a winningest person in Tony Awards history until she was eclipsed here a couple of years ago. I, I want to talk about her a little bit more in just a bit because her career at this point is really fascinating where she is at in her career. Uh, David Thomason, honestly, the only other thing I know is Mary Poppins. That's probably the only other role I know of him in. Well, the so the two sort of tragic notes, which are really scary. I so, accidentally read his his biography and oh my God. Oh my God. Shit. You talk about it though. You say it. Well, I mean, it's it's one one sentence, which is his first marriage was to a widower who had lost, mm-hmm. who just lost her husband in World War II. And like, what is it? Three months after they married, yep. she jumped off a building with her two kids. And killed them like, all. That's, yep. <laughs> like, I don't, like, that is horrific. What like, I can't fuck? even imagine. And the only thing with Angela is the tragedy of, well, not tragedy, but her kids were also kind of, uh, like her son and her daughter were growing up in the hippie era and the son became an addict and yep. had some problems with the heroin. Which is why she's been like an advocate for like drug abuse uh, help and right. that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's he straightened out apparently and he, he's in the film business and good yeah. for him. And the daughter who uh, now is fairly uh, stable, there's no information about her, apparently hung out with the uh, Manson family. Yeah. So that's, you know, that wild? good. <laughs> good for her. She did not take part in the uh, negative. Talk about the age of not believing, am I right? <laughs> uh. um, yeah, but like you said, David Tomlinson, not a lot of uh, Googleable facts. I mean, the fact that he's in Mary Poppins and in this film. I mean, that's, there's something, yeah. this movie should never have been made. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if the kids ever went off and did anything else. Like really, I no. think some of them were doing like commercials and stuff. I think around this time, but they I were don't too think they snotty. Ever grew they up. got typecast. They uh, they yeah. got typecast. Even though I will say, Roddy McDowell is in this movie for like five minutes, which I think is weird and interesting. But why he's of all people in this movie, I don't know either. Uh, the director is apparently the greatest Disney's director of that oh, era. Yeah. Um, Robert Stevenson, so good for him. And then we talked a little bit uh, on or off mic about the special effects. Yeah, so it was well, nice let, to read about that. Yeah, let's but. get into that. So this was written by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady and Ralph Wright and Ted Berman wrote the animated story within the film with an uncredited additional story element provided by Ken Anderson. A lot of people on this. Based on the books, The Magic Bed Knob and another book called Bonfires and Broomsticks by Mary Norton. And it, of course, is directed by Robert Stevenson. I want to see a movie called Bonfires and Broomsticks. One thing I think is important to start off this conversation with is the 70s and, and then into like the early to mid 80s is a really weird time for the Disney company. So Walt Disney had passed away December of 1966. And this kind of threw the whole entire corporation into chaos with no clear heir to the throne. I'll say it was left with a bunch of executives who had no real vision of their own. No clear goal. And they really kept asking, like, what would Walt have done? Like, that's really what everyone around the company was doing. And this kind of like green lighting random things. This is where you get those really weird Disney movies, I think. They're sometimes a little bit darker. That's where you get the Black Cauldron and um, that kind of stuff. Space Mountain. Yeah, there have been so many books written about this. I'm not going to go into like super much, uh, super great detail about this. But the truth is, Disney Corporation was kind of just throwing stuff at the wall right now, seeing what would stick. Well, it's also true, this project was started about a decade earlier and is intrinsically linked with Mary Poppins, which is why we brought this up at the very beginning. 
Walt Disney really wanted to adapt Mary Poppins in like the 50s. He's courting the author, P.L. Travers. Does it for years. But it was like this huge, like hot and cold relationship where it was like she was almost about to sign. And then she was like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. And she would walk away. So it kept going back and forth like this. You can get a sense of this if you've seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks. But that movie is very much Disney propaganda because it does not like the real life story does not end the way that that movie ends. Because Travers hated the movie Mary Poppins when they eventually made it like hated it. However. During one of those cold periods, Walt Disney considers adapting the books of Mary Norton. She had written these two books back in the 40s. And um, I read like the first chapter of the first book just to get a sense of what it was. And I find it actually quite similar in style to the Mary Poppins books. Although the Mary Poppins books, the main character of Mary Poppins is like absolutely awful <laughs> in the books. Like she's just mean. And they also do that thing. I don't know if you've ever read any fiction made for kids from like that's written in like 40s and 50s. But Dr. Doodle is like the same thing to me. We're just like, there's never a plot that's happening. It's just like, here's a scene. Here's another scene. Here's another scene. They never like stitch together, really. It's just like another short, like a little adventure that they're going on. And there's never any like overarching like storyline that's going through those books. Same thing Winnie, is true for this one. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh's like that. And I think, yeah. I wonder if it, these are all written short stories because they were published as pamphlets for kids as opposed to novels. But who cares? I, I, I took a children's literature course. So you would think that I would know how to answer that, but I don't. You gave Willy Wonka a 4.5. You yeah, have no it's credibility. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Mary Norton is probably best known nowadays, though, for her series called The Borrowers. And when I worked at a bookstore, this is still a pretty big book series that gets bought every year. Is it boring or they dig holes? Borrowers. So oh, the borrowers. borrowers. It does borrowers. feature a race of small people, like very small people that live within the world of us like giant people. It's actually been adapted a bunch of times. A bunch of times. The most recent and probably well-known one is the Studio Ghibli film called The Secret World of Arietti oh. based on the same source material. So Walt gets the rights to this Bedknobs and Broomsticks story. Has the Sherman Brothers who are working on the Mary Poppins stuff to work on more songs for this. But once the Poppins deal gets signed, they kind of shelve this whole project. Walt passes away and the producers are trying to find material that they know that he would have liked. Um, and so they had a bit of a story treatment already made for this. They invite the Sermon Brothers back to the studio. They begin writing some more songs and they start the casting process. So this was supposed to be basically an entire Mary Poppins reunion, right? Because they have the Sherman Brothers back. They have the same director. They have the same writers. They also wanted Julie Andrews to come back as the main character. And she wasn't sure if she wanted to do something so close to Mary Poppins. She does eventually say yes, but they had already cast Angela Lansbury. Uh, so she does not come back. This is where I'm going to bring up Angela Lansbury's career. Because I think it's a weird casting choice. A super weird casting choice. Because while well, Lansbury, as we said, had this kind of strong acting career when she began in the 40s. By the mid-60s, she was not getting roles. She was basically being typecast as like mothers with like little bits of screen time. So she like runs away to New York City to try out Broadway. And she has to really be coaxed because until that time, she hadn't really sang before. And she's being cast for a musical. Why hasn't anyone cast me in a musical yet? Which I find hilarious to think of now because that's kind of how I think she's mostly known now is as kind of a singer. No, as an old lady solving crimes. Well, I guess typewriter. so. Yeah. 
I guess that's one way to do it. I guess I'm just a Broadway fan, so I just, I just know all of her Broadway work. So she's known <laughs> as a really great singer. Her first production, by the way, is this legendary flop called Anyone Can Whistle, another Sondheim production. The last, like, nine performances before it closed. But that gets her foot in the door. She'd be in MAME, Dear World, wins her two Tony Awards. That's where she's at in 1971. Before going off, of course, and doing Murder, She Wrote, and singing what I think is the best Disney song of all time, Beauty and the Beast, which, again, makes me cry every time I, I listen to it. 1971, she's more of a theater person. She's also in her late 40s at this point. David Tomlinson is in his mid-50s. And I am here to say that if this movie was remade today, there is not a hope in hell that that is what the ages of these two people are going to be. <laughs> well, <that laughs> not whole a thing, chance. The whole thing at the end where the kids, like, it comes out of nowhere. They're like, can you please be our father? And you're just mm-hmm, like, what mm-hmm. the fuck just happened? A, he's well, they an are asshole. orphans. Like, they are orphans. Uh, but fine, yes. but... They're both geriatric and they're both pricks. I mean, I don't know. They just, anyways, let's keep going before I, I get um, off. <laughs> so, anyways, I just think it's a miracle that that's who they cast. Yes. Robert Stevenson began directing movies in the 30s, uh, but had been a Disney regular since the 50s. He got a Best Director nomination for directing Mary Poppins. Uh, his other Disney credits are Old Yeller, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, another Sunday night one that I watched, I remember. Absent-minded professor, son of Flubber, that darn cat, and the love bug. So a lot of those live-action films that we know of, he was a director. Uh, he was also nearing the end of his career because he only directed four more movies after this. Actually, David Thompson also was near the end of his career. I think he only made like four or five more movies after this. So like everyone's kind of nearing the end, except for Angela, who's like another 50 years. He's still making stuff. Dave, we mentioned that this is a two-hour-long movie. I already think it's too long. I'm, I'm, I'm on record. I think it's already too long. If you can believe it, this movie was longer originally. It was almost two and a half hours long. Epic. Can you imagine if I made you watch this movie? <laughs> that was two and a half hours long. Okay, so they used to do this thing. I don't know if you're aware of this. called like the road show. Where they would take a movie to different cities to basically test it out. It was like early test audiences, right? And basically with the thing that they kept getting back is like there's these things that they don't like. These the song is not a fan favorite, so they started cutting things. And I think the biggest thing is like their premiere date in New York City. There was like a stage show. It was like at um Radio City Music Hall. So they had like the stage show first and then the movie. And so because the stage show ran so long, they needed to have a two-hour cut of this movie. So they just started like throwing things out. Most of that footage has been lost. However, because the music, a couple of the songs that they cut were still floating around. Uh, a preservationist at Disney loved those cut songs so much, specifically a one called A Step in the Right Direction, which is on one of those Disney compilations I listened to. So I know this song. He was such a big fan of this that he tried to track down most of the missing footage, actually invited Lansbury and the other cast members to come back and re-record some of their lines so that on the 25th anniversary release in 1996, they could show the full Two and a half hour long cut. Oh my God. They Snyder cutted this thing. Yeah. I do not think you can get that outside of eBay because it's not on the Blu-ray. It's not on the DVD copies of this movie. And it's not the one that's streaming on Disney plus. Thankfully. I don't know where that this is. I don't know where the other cut is. Um, I'm sure it's out there, but I am curious why it isn't included. Like in a, like the, just the special feature section in, on Disney plus, it seems like that would be an easy thing to do if you've already cut it. But anyway, it's bad that's, because it's bad. 
True enough. I'm just saying, if you're looking for like content to put onto your streaming service, there's two and a half hours you could upload right there. Can't be choosy. This film was nominated for five Academy Awards. Those Crazy. were Best Score, Best Song, Best Art Direction, Best nope. Costume Design, and Best nope. Special Effects. It only won one for Best Special Effects. And it's because, in part, that it pioneered a way to composite different elements together. I'm going to do my best to try and explain how this process works. Dave, you would actually probably maybe understand this better being a photographer. It was called the sodium screen vapor process. There's a racist name. It's called yellow screen. Yeah, let's keep it. It was, an, well, <laughs> here's the wild thing. It only shows up as yellow because photo cameras can't capture the actual color for some That's reason. Right. Anyways, yeah. it, was, it was sort of a version of green screen that we do nowadays. Right now, you'd film a screen, put some people in front of a green backdrop, and then in your video editor, you can select the color green, remove it out of the image, right? So it looks like Captain America and Iron Man are fighting on a mountain when they're not actually on a mountain. What they did in this case was actually have a special camera, and they used these backdrops that were in this bright yellow. The camera could not pick up the wavelengths of light that were being bounced back from the yellow backdrop. It's not, sorry, it's not a yellow backdrop. So it's a white backdrop that they're shining light from a sodium vapor light. Okay. Gotcha. And then the reflection is in this narrow bandwidth that even to our eye, we We can't see. see. That's right. right. Okay. So it basically looks like, yeah, the actor is standing in front of a transparency so that you can then put whatever you want behind it or anything in front of it so that you do it. So uh, it wasn't color that they were removing, but like wavelengths that they're removing. Anyways, it's a really fascinating process when you read up on it. This technology was only ever used sparingly going for because green screen was already a thing back in 1971. Yep. Uh, so they were they just kept going with that moving forward. And I think partly they don't say this in the article that I read, but my suspicion is that there's enough yellow that can show up in pigments of skin. That it's not like um, as good just, as doing like green or or blue backgrounds that you can remove. That's my guess. No, I think it's too expensive. I think oh, I from what you. I've read, the blue screen of the era and we see this in older films there's too much natural blue and blue's a primary sort of reflective color so yeah. if anybody like to your point like if their uh, makeup was done slightly incorrectly or if they're wearing the costume that has a cast you can see through them and and it's hard to edit that out in a manual film era what right. made this so popular is that this narrow wavelength was easy. It's kind of like alpha channels in Photoshop right now. You could actually, they would, there's two cameras. So they had a prism, they record in color and they would record in black and white. And the black and white plate could be used, like you said, to pull out a transparency. And so you could cut out even like single hairs and you right, didn't have right. to worry about what they were wearing. Um, but it costs too much money. Apparently you need, yeah, you need a special lens, you need a special camera. You're using two rolls of film. And as blue screen and green screen got better at uh, isolating yeah. those channels, uh, they were just like, yeah, wh- why are we spending so much money on this shit? It and actually reminds me of early 3D cameras that they did in like the 1930s and 40s because that was like the first wave of the 3D craze. Right. Where it was really like two cameras strapped together. So they were capturing like two images simultaneously. Yeah. And you had to make sure they were spaced properly or else it wouldn't work. Pro- so it was like Parallax. all this calibration you had to do. I still get dizzy when you do the red and blue uh, glass, like old school. I'm blind in my right eye, so I can't see through those things. It's never worked for me. Fully or legally? Legally blind in my right eye, yeah. Why am I driving the spaceship, Dave? Oh my gosh. I'm going to start taking advantage of that next time we're allowed to meet. Just Just throw a ball at my face (laughs) on the right hand side. (laughs) I'll just slowly put, yeah, this finger and then poke you in the face and you just like, Mm. what the f? So I guess where we need to go to with this conversation, Dave, is um, why do you hate fun? (laughs) 
Look, there's nothing fun about this movie. You want to defend the first, uh, it's, it's less than half. So first yeah. 40% of the I would film say or whatever. Basically yeah. for me, it's up until the Portobello Road sequence. And then it just, it's not good after that. Yeah. I in mean, my I, opinion. I'll, I'll give you this. You know, the setup, it, it is like a B movie. It's a poor man's, uh, poor person's Mary Poppins. And so. 100%. I agree with that. And they're doing that uh, inversion thing where it, it's not a rist, uh, rich aristocrat family. We're, yeah, war orphans. We're in a church. They're being forced upon this eccentric woman. I wish I had a dime for every time I've forced a bunch of children on an eccentric woman. You know, we've got uh, the motorbike with the sulfur gas, sodium vapor. And so, you know, there's uh, there is some fun in that. You know, and, and you get kind of interested. I, I'm I'm getting piqued as we talk about. But by the time they're in her house and the that main lead boy is just being Charlie, a yeah. fucking prick. I was like, I, don't, is, yeah. I no longer care. We've got this like street urchin type of character, right? And he's like uh, negotiating with an inept witch. She's getting these instructions and that whole thing started to fall apart right away. And as much as I want to succumb to your fanboyness i i just wasn't really into angela lansbury in this either i i thought she was uh fine like she's not a bad actress she's a great actress but there's not a lot for her to work with she's in a very awkward position because the story of her being a witch is not explained there's no backstory of why there's no connection of why she gets to have special powers and nobody else does it's just you know it's just she's well, think- mail ordering instructions to get a spell <laughs> It's very weird. It's very TV show. I, and, and I, I got, I think, got disconnected from the beginning. I think you weren't paying attention because I think that some <laughs> of that stuff is actually explained. Whether you still like the movie, that's beside the point. But I think it does a good enough job of being like, she's interested in spells. The reason why she can do it is because she's reading the words out. It's the actual saying of the words in that sequence that are actually working for when her. When did they explain that? That's at the very beginning. She says she's that's why she's sending away to get these words sent to her. And the reason that they're not working oh is because he's putting God. them in a different order. He says that in the film. He says the reason why these don't work for you is because I put the words into a different order than what the actual spell book told me to put them in. So, so that's why she, things she go reordering them. You know what? Uh, just like when I watched it, even right now, my eyes are rolled so far back in my head. I, I am no longer paying attention. But uh yeah, keep going. Keep. I, I will allow you to continue your defense of this. I almost called it a film of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's of this thing, this monstrosity <laughs> that is in front of me. Like, I don't think there's anything, there's, there's no deep resonance in this film. Like, I don't think it's trying to be anything but like an adventure film. And that's fine. Like, it can be, that's a perfectly fine reason to make a movie. It was the Mad Max of its time is what I'm trying to say, Dave. No, um, I should have yeah. watched it in the Chrome edition. The Chrome edition. <laughs> Beth Hubs and Broomsticks Chrome. <laughs> I, I, I'd pay another $20 for that. Um, I think that that is what grabbed me as a kid. I think that the idea of being like, oh, there is a way to like have magic happen around you. And then it's like only a bunch of nonsense words that you have to say that can actually unlock these powers. I think that was alluring to me as a kid. And to a degree, it's alluring to me now to be like, oh, there could be magic that's, that's around you. I know you've said this repeatedly now on this podcast that the music doesn't do anything for you. Music does do something for me. I think the first couple of songs are capital g great i think it's the sherman brothers uh, at the top of their game the kids are a bit much um i i agree like anytime charlie opens his mouth i'm like i just want to punch you because you're just awful you're just an awful person 
<laughs> you you wayward vagrant cockney child so so i get that and i think that that's something that you kind of have to put up with to a certain extent in older films that feature kids because there's no good kid actors back in, in this time frame shirley temple they should have hired shirley she's yeah, probably 40 shirley. at this point but yeah, yeah probably so that stuff kind of just still works for me there's that kind of that magic to it there there's that you know poor man's mary poppins gets a so far for me uh, before it's just like, no, this is just not working for me on any level. I do also have a little bit of fun with the animated sequence, even though I noticed here as an adult that uh, the rec- the actual voice recordings of the people seemed off. Like one was like super like echoey and one yeah. seemed like they were far away from the mic. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like I just didn't notice that as a kid for some reason. But the, that the whole soccer match is fun. But then it becomes like that's what I mentioned at the beginning. They get back and then it's basically made to be completely irrelevant because it's like, oh, this thing that we spent all this time trying to accomplish, we accomplished it. And like, oh, by the way, it was just in my book the entire time. And that's just lazy writing. And it makes me like, no, you can't do that movie. Like <laughs> you, you're treating me as an idiot then at that point. And I think kids can pick up on that, too. And probably why I didn't like the last half of this movie, even as a kid. Each segment of this movie is shoehorned into the next one. Sure. Like they're, they're, it's completely nonlinear. Even when they go into the magical world and they start off underwater, mm-hmm. I was left, I couldn't understand this idea. You know, why are they under the sea other than to include a number that wasn't supposed to be in the right. film? Now, what are all these fish doing? It's it's the strangest thing. Uh, wait, I, you're supposed to stop. Like, you actually <laughs> want there to be like this deep, rich backstory of why the fish can speak in this underwater lagoon? If I'm going to be on a podcast with its own deep and rich fiction, I okay. need to be brought into one when we're... No, I, so, did you have the I, same problem it, with, uh, with The Little Mermaid? It's like, well, how do these crabs talk to these mer-people? The I Little Mermaid they have the does same not hold up. It really oh, it does not. It absolutely does. It, it does absolutely, not. thousand percent. Five out of five. <laughs> so, you know, we, we're dumped into the ocean. They can breathe underwater, which doesn't make sense. I will admit, uh, or I will allow that the when they get off the bed and they do the uh, dance number. I mean, it's a little awkward, but when they do the falling yeah. over, you know, there it's it's visually interesting because the whole time I'm thinking, how would you do that in such a fluid way? I mean, it's probably uh, wires or straps or whatever, but yeah, they, it was, it, it's yeah. choreographed well. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, a hook comes out, and they have uh, like poor man's Baloo, like I, <laughs> which I, was them just like copying old animation again. And yeah, like, I, and I thought the animation was very tired. I didn't. You can tell, yeah, it's it's repurposed. Uh, I'm I'm sure there are YouTube things where it's probably exact same frames that they've used in every animation, with slightly di- same voice actors, with slightly slightly different accents. The lion character is hard to understand; like he's just violently roaring and everything. Then he plays. I I, I was surprised they called it soccer and not football, but anyways, they're playing a, a soccer match, and then all of a sudden. It's fine. But you you brought up, which I didn't actually know, that they had a separate writer for the animation sequence. Yeah. Again, shoehorn. Did it even need to be in this film? Yes and well, no, I, mean, I don't I, know. I mean, but just to go back to the Mary Poppins reference, like this, I feel like that can be a criticism we could level of that movie too, where it's just a bunch of sequences that don't really flow into one another. Like that whole like uh, Jolly Holiday sequence in Mary Poppins where she's dancing with penguins. Does that have anything to do with the plot? No, nothing at all. But I still well, love it. Like it still works in that movie. Maybe uh, and uh, you know uh, maybe the only difference is Dick Van Dyke and uh, and Julie Andrews. Could you know be, yeah. when you have uh, people that are in a film that have that it factor where it doesn't even matter what they're doing, you're just drawn into them. I mean, 
you know, Julie Andrews is not just a, a great talent. She's actually, you know, quite a beautiful woman and she uh, plays that. This is probably I mean, why Dick the writer is a handsome man that we should point out too. In this era, yeah. I mean, he's, and he's fun, right? He's, he's good looking and he's silly. And so, when they get together, they have such great on-screen chemistry. So, you know, honestly, I couldn't even tell you what that movie's actually about. It doesn't matter, right? That's a movie that when I was a kid, if it goes on, you, you sing along, you're just watching weird shit happen. Um, it's Hopefully a bit you of that. get a tuppence once, once or twice <laughs> in your life. But. And the kids in that are not annoying, you know, and yeah. they're, they're trying their best to be likable. One, um, one thing I will say that this movie does only slightly better. Uh, There's such a nerdy, dumb comment. But in early special effects work, you know, with the live actors, with the animated characters, in Mary Poppins, if you look hard, their sight lines never match up. Like, if they're looking into each other's eyes, they're never actually looking into each other's eyes. This one, they're doing it better, but there's moments where, like, no, you, you can tell they're not actually looking at, at anything. Uh, Movies, so, that kind of breaks your yes. immersion every so often. Yeah, I agree with you. And it, uh, the problem, another problem, uh, the add-on to that is they're still struggling with that in today. You know, you can watch the greatest cgi greens andy circus is there with the right. balloons on his face and it still looks weird it is so hard you know it's interesting learning about filmmaking it's hard enough to do that with two live people because right. of how the camera's positioned you're never actually looking at your co-lead you know everything's got to be slightly off yeah yeah to like certain points to make sure a you're not breaking the fourth wall and b you know however they're lighting and, and whatever lens they have to use so imagining you know, Angela Lansbury or Julie Andrews sitting in front of a white screen. And in this day, they don't have mocap suits. So, they're just like, look to your left. There's a wolf, you know. And, right, right. You right. know, that that's a hard thing. Um, but I agree with you. It's much more noticeable when we rewatch Mary Poppins now. But to the earlier point, I care less because right. there's just something more magical about that movie. I know you're not a fan of uh, Angela Lansbury in this movie. Um, I wonder if part of the reason is, I don't know if you read this quote from her. That I'm probably going to butcher because I didn't write it down. But she said that she didn't really feel like she was acting in this movie. She was just uh, acting by assembly line or something like that. Because it's yeah, storyboarded out so... Oh, yeah. Acting by numbers, I think is what she said. Everything was storyboarded to such a degree that she had no room to, like, interpret the character or do something with a flourish or something like that. Because, like, no, you have to do it exactly this way that we've already storyboarded it out. And I wonder if that's what you're picking up on. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the history with Angela Lansbury that you did. I didn't even really watch Murder, She Wrote. I, oh, I watched it when it would come on. You can watch all 11 seasons on Prime right now. <laughs> uh, we're canceling Prime. Uh, but... This sort of uh, ability for an actor to have freedom, uh, you know, she got, uh, I don't know, Kubricked, Finchered, you know, if, if they're putting her in a situation where she has to be very rigid and then they're putting in her situation in a movie that's, you know, probably, f what is it? Six writers, at least 15 yeah. pieces shoehorned together. I mean, uh, it's an exhausting process, I imagine, for her. I am not levying this at her directly. I don't think this is her fault. And she has charming moments. You can tell she's a good actress. It's just... Yeah, there's something about this film that everybody, with the exception of, I think the only person enjoying himself is David Tomlinson. Honestly, he looks he like he's having a time of his life. And be like, whatever, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah, he's like, you want me to be a prick? No problem. You want me to fall down? I got this. You want me to be uh, covered in mud? No problem. So Maybe it's because she's uh, performing a character called Eglantine. Another name that does not exist, in my opinion, but yeah, that's, that's what her actual name is, Eglantine. We joked about how she probably knows a JC. I don't know. I mean, there's just something awkward and insurmountable for me. And for you, you you feel like you surmounted part of it. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't get I over there. I halfway up Everest and I was like, <laughs> I saw the dead guy with the red shoes and I'm like, I can't. 
I can't it's go not any enough further. oxygen. Yeah. I, I was, at the, I was at the foot of the hill and I was like, no, if there's no train, I'm not interested. I, uh... Not interested. <laughs> We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has told us that we do have to wrap this up. I should point out some things here that the critics of the time said. You know, last week, uh, because of a scheduling that I forgot about, I really had to go and get these old books, as you know. It didn't really say, like, the critics' reaction to Willy Wonka. Uh, Ebert loved Willy Wonka, I should point out. Gave it a four out of four. Like, he loved Willy Wonka at the time in 1971. And they want to bring a quote that he said back in a moment. But of this movie specifically, Ebert said this. Kids like villains they have been introduced to. They like to meet evil old queens and tyrannical kings and pirates and alligators. They know these types are up to no good. But Nazis? And without character development? Nazis can be used as shorthand in adult movies where it's unnecessary to establish their villainy. But five-year-olds don't automatically know Nazis are bad guys, and a Disney movie is the wrong place for them to learn anyway. So the hunt is driven into the sea, and the kids to the John and the candy counter. So, not a fan <laughs> of this movie. And again, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on this, but I agree. Like, again, these Nazis don't belong in this movie. It seems so weird to shoehorn them into this plot. I, I'm just looking through our text chain to see what else I can complain about. But yes, again, the shoehorn is the problem with this film. Uh, and I, I'm trying to think, what is the motivation of a writer? This is 30 years after the war or 25 years after the war. Yeah. and. You know, maybe it's the Sound of Music influence where they were like, this was such an important... Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, and some oh, of sorry. the creative people on this would have fought in World War II as well. Yeah, and, and yeah, everybody does have history. I mean, these are these are not young actors. This is not mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the Gene Hackmans or whatever, like these right. 20, 30-year-old upstarts. These are people that have lived and fought through. I mean, Dave Thompson served in the war. He was apparently an aircraft instructor, instructor oh, in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. Cool. Who's teaching fire pilots here. And yes, I, you know what? That is a great point, Ebert. I forgot that this is a movie targeted at children because we're watching yeah. it as old men. So, um, we and see a Nazi- it doesn't make sense to us. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. If like, my son, so, so to kids, would be like, what? Who are these people? Like, what is going on? Why is he on? dressed like that? Why does he have a machine I, I, gun? I, I, I do want to make it very clear, just in case it is not coming through. I am not making light of Nazism. But I do agree with the fact that like, Nazis are not something you introduce in a five-year-old's uh, kid's film when there's no context given. Like, I know right. I didn't know what Nazis were at five years old. I didn't learn that until I went to school. So it's like, absolutely, we should be teaching this. But like, this is not the time to introduce these as villains. Yeah, if you, if you bring them in from the beginning, like Ebert's suggesting, and they're uh, characterized as the bad guy. So even right. if... Like the lion has Nazi-ish characteristics that the whole thread of the film is to, yeah. you know, suggest to a five-year-old that anybody, you know, hailing Hitler is an asshole. It might work, you know, as long as you pull it back without uh, mention of genocides. I think there's bad people on both sides. But to throw them in the last 20 minutes, just so they can fight a bunch of, you know, a piece of armor floating around a wire is awful. I, we forgot to mention quickly... The whole uh, street market, racist street market scene. Yeah. Which, okay, again, another thing, that whole middle section is also cut out of the TV edit that I watched. That was uh, all brand new information. Like, I have never seen this middle section in my life. It <laughs> always started with them singing Portobello Road, and then none of that, other, the dancing sequence happened, oh, and it just cuts yeah. to them, like, picking up the book and leaving. Which so it's makes like, sense. Oh. I mean, the two principal dancers were prostitutes. Uh, right. they, they showed they off are. their colonial interests, so yeah. you have... You have Sikhs, India. you have Jamaicans, you yeah. have uh, 
No, they only made fun of Chinese people, but they didn't have Hong Kongers in it. It was awful. I'm pretty sure there's some brown there. face going on there oh, yeah. in that sequence. But yeah. like, yeah, it's just like this weird dance. It's like, hey, isn't colonialism kind of fun? It's, oh, it's, it's a very wow. weird sequence. Um, Pauline Kael says this. There's no logic in the style of the movie and the story dribbles on for so long that it exhausts the viewer before the final magical battle begins. The story is suffused with patriotic sentimentality circa Mrs. Miniver. Lansbury gives up witchcraft when she gets a man, David Tomlinson who twinkles like a sexless pixie, and of course the movie includes the Disney inevitable, this time in the shape of three lovable cockney orphans. The director, Robert Stevenson, found an appallingly simple solution to the problem of enabling Americans to understand the children's cockney intonations. Every time one of them speaks, we get a close-up, so that our full attention is focused on the piping little speaker that we can practically read the lips. It's as if a TV show had been cut into the movie every few seconds. This whole production is a mixture of wizardry and ineptitude. The picture has enjoyable moments, but it's as, as it's as uncertain of itself as the title indicates. You go, you go, Pauline. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, I feel right like she's you. your like I don't know <laughs> one true love as far as film criticism goes. Oh, she's been pretty harsh on some of them, but this one she na- hit the nail straight on the head. I mean, that's yeah. that is a great uh, that is a great grounded response to the sitting through of this film without. Uh, what is it? Ten ten years of your life, Kyle, dedicated to wearing out a Betamax tape. Watching yeah. this piece of crap over and over again. Uh, she got I it mean, the first time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's I, bad. I do another 10 years. I think I could do another 10 years. Um, so I guess that means we should answer these questions. I know what you're going to answer, but I'm still going to ask them to you, Dave. Do you think this film holds up and do you think it is still culturally relevant? No. And I already told you what my son's reaction was watching yeah. part of the trailer. I've never seen such a cute seven-year-old stank face. He was like, no, I will never, I'll never consume this content. Uh, this, he just looks your way like, dad, why? Why, dad, why? <laughs> <laughs> this movie's already essentially been stricken from the history books and deservedly so. This movie should not exist. I can't believe it's on Blu-ray. It's, so this, uh, might, this might surprise you, Dave. I am saying no to both of these questions too. Ooh. I don't think it holds up. I, I don't think it's culturally relevant. There's a little asterisk I'm going to put towards that. I think that with some massive rewrites for the second act, that this could work as like a new film. It is getting a stage production. I should point out. So this August in 2021, in August, there's a stage production of Bedknobs and Broom 6 that is going up in London. So it is something that Disney it's under like the Disney theatrical banner type of thing. So Disney is working on this themselves. So that would, that's going to include some of the music and some new music written by some other composers, which is the same thing they did with the Mary Poppins stage musical from a few years ago. So it's something that they're interested in revisiting. And I, I have no problem with that because I think, for me, it's really the music that holds up out of this movie, the three songs that I quoted. And I don't know. I, if that stage musical includes Nazis as the end thing, I will be shocked. I will be literally shocked if that's what they include in that show because I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and this is the danger of the rewrite. You know, if you strip this down, it becomes the very, very bare bones of like a Harry Potter thing. And sure. so you can... Yeah, if you're going to take an inept student witch and thrust her into some type of familial situation, of course, stuff like that can work. But the whole point is you need a good writer, you need a mm-hmm. good director, you need good actors, you need good music, you need good everything for it to be good. And this is a movie where it doesn't check any, Kyle, any of those boxes. So No, there's some good music <laughs> in there. Um, I'm very curious to know what you rated this. 
But uh, before we get to there, that's what Dave and I thought about bed knobs and broomsticks. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as $1 per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Uh, the, I, before I ask you what your rating is, just comparing this to Willy Wonka, which is better for you? Neither. Yeah, I, I put them on par. Oh, come on. You have to, you have to make a choice. What, if you were forced for 10 years to watch the same movie over and over again, and it was these two options, which one would you pick? I, I can't answer that question. That's like asking what form of torture would I endure right, <laughs> for what? Right. What would the goal be? I'm giving them know. the same rating. I, I don't, ice I don't cream, understand. Do ice cream at the end or something? I don't know. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. Thanks okay. a lot, asshole. What are you giving uh, it then? Yeah, one. You gave 1.5 to Willy Wonka. That's all I'm saying here. I so. gave Willy Wonka 1.5? Yeah, yeah. According to my document here, that is what you yeah. gave it. Fine. 1.5. I, I just, I don't want to watch either of these again. I will give you that sure. uh, there are moments that could be fun in the beginning of this sure. film. So, all right. 1.5. You convinced me. I, well done. I very much admit that I'm probably giving it a whole extra star based totally on nostalgia purposes. Oh my God. I'm so scared. I'm giving it a three. I'm giving it a three, which is, it's it's fine, but like... There is some bad stuff in this movie. It does not hold up. I'm probably, I'm not going to rush out to rewatch this movie. I probably will at least one more time in my entire life on this planet see this movie again. I am guessing. Really? But 2. I think it'd be, You're not going to come down to 2.5? Like, <laughs> no, it's going to be a three. <laughs> I think it's going to be more like, oh, I really just want to watch that that one like small scene. I'm just going to jump to it on Disney Plus and watch that one scene. And then That's not YouTube's actually, for. Why give it to well, them well, on whatever. the algorithm? Go into YouTube and watch that one scene. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not going to sit down and probably watch this full movie ever again. That's a three? That d- a, that description ends up as... <laughs> basically, again, have another asterisk. And I basically gave it a two, but I'm giving oh, it an extra star no. based on nostalgia. Okay, so that averages out to 2.25. That ties... With Nicholas and Alexandra, another long, boring movie. So do you think this is better or worse than that movie? I'm going to say worse because as boring and as strange, like as brutal a sitting experience, Nicholas and Alexandra still had some great moments and some, you know, it kind of built up at the end and the execution scene had a lot of suspense and Rasputin was great. You know, that movie suffered just from it being apologist and, and too drawn out, but uh, right. this movie's insufferable. So yeah, I would put Nicholas and Alexander above it for sure, even though that one does not exist on Blu-ray, right? So I think you're can't right. watch that in high def, yeah. Okay. Well, then entering our list at the number 10 position is going to be bed knobs and broomsticks. Just quickly, what's my aggregate score so far in okay. 1971? Let's, let's keep a Come running on. total here. You've done some doozies here. <laughs> yeah, you are exactly two right now. Yes. 2.0. I am at uh, 3.2. 
is what my average rating is. All right. So I guess we should uh, find out what we're watching here next week. Just going to push this little button here. Oh, oh no, Dave. <laughs> I feel this is, well, you're going to, I know you're going to hate this movie, probably. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate this movie because I know that this is one of only two movies that Gene Siskel walked out of. <laughs> we're going to watch The Million Dollar Duck next what? week. Another what kid's is, film. What is the million dollar duck? Is it Scrooge? a duck worth a million dollars? I love, I love uh, the defeat in your voice. <laughs> this is so bad. It looks so bad. I've, I've watched like a clip. I'm like, nope. And now the machine is going to make us watch the million dollar duck. I will have my five, my score of five ready. Just, just to if throw you a wrench give you. this more than either <laughs> Willy Wonka or Bedknobs, I will friggin' lose my mind. I will flip over this table I'm sitting at. Um, uh, okay. What is going on in 1971? What, in my opinion, what have there been two good movies? Yeah, you only liked two movies so far, Dave. <laughs> I think at a certain point, if you hate everything, the 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 problem is you, not yeah, the movies. I'm willing to admit. I, I I don't know if we did this on mic, but I think at the end of this season, we'll have to do a quick revisit because uh, I hate to think that I just don't like 1971. Who knows? Maybe like the back half is going to be like amazing. <laughs> You're just going to be real like five, bangers. five, yeah. five. And it's yeah. like just throwing out fives like they're going out of style. Uh, all right. Do you want to, I guess, do you want to help clear up these books? Well, do you want to just incant something and they'll uh, fly? No, that's a different movie. The that's flying book's movie. a different that, movie. We do not have the rights to that, Dave. We do not have the rights Sorry. to that. Why hasn't anyone cast me in a musical yet? Hey everyone, I'm just including a couple of minutes of our Patreon-only episode about Muppets from Space. Yes, we're still doing 1999 over on the Patreon, and this is the kind of content that you might enjoy over there. So, go ahead and enjoy it here. I will say, Dawson's Creek! Is oh, that's here. right. Yeah, 1999 that was is awful. this weird thing of like Dawson's Creek being either referenced or like the actors appearing in things. Uh, and apparently that only happened because they recorded on the soundstage next door. Uh, so they literally just brought them over to do like a quick cameo. Why was that show so popular? I don't know. Why is any show popular, Dave? You, I don't know. Dave, you were like the wrong person to ask that because you don't even like the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's the good stuff? What's the good stuff? I don't know. This is back in 1999. So you probably would have hated like peak Simpsons at the time or something like that. No, I mean, I watch Simpsons. I'm just, what was 99? I don't, what were people watching in 99? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Friends. Friends. But, I, yeah, but Friends, Friends was not great. Yeah. Seinfeld was over uh, already. Frasier. Frasier was Frasier, on the television. Yeah, I watched some reruns of Frasier, but probably not live. I, I didn't, I don't think mm -hmm. I watched any of those as they were being aired. How is it that they've never made a Muppets film with Kelsey Grammer as like the nemesis? He, like he that just writes itself basically. Yeah. I mean, he did, he did die. No, he didn't. He's still alive. What are you talking about? <laughs> he uh, fell off a stage, Dave. He didn't die. By the what way, watch that video. It's <laughs> fucking hilarious. 